brought to you by CGTN Europe. Hello, I'm Stephen Cole. Welcome to The Agenda. It's become almost impossible to live in the modern world without the services of the so-called Big Five. That's Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Microsoft and Google. Today, we'll be looking at what sets big tech apart from other digital platforms and why it's now facing unprecedented levels of scrutiny and calls for regulation. We begin in Australia, where the government has passed a landmark media law forcing Google and Facebook to pay for journalism. I asked Stephen Sheila, the former CEO of Facebook for Australia and New Zealand, whether or not this was a victory for Australia's competition watchdog or the digital platforms. I've had the uh, opportunity to speak with um, uh, the Australian Prime Minister, who I uh, had dinner with, and um, you know I think he was feeling very, um, pretty chuffed that you know they had gotten Facebook and Google over a long period of time to this point where they were finally striking commercial deals, and Facebook ultimately had obviously backed down on its uh, its uh, action to remove news from Australia. So I think they were feeling pretty good. And then I think when you look on the Facebook side, uh, they probably have a few things to feel good about as well. Um, they got a few concessions at the last minute, so you know it could have been a lot worse. I think they would have wound up in a pretty bad place if they had, had if they had been forced to continue um, keeping news out of Australia. At the time, Stephen, I saw that Canada was one country thinking of following suit, uh, and others perhaps uh, as well. Do you think this victory for Australia has, in fact, set a precedent? I, I sense that it is a, a precedent setter, right? I mean, this is one of the first. Um, you know, countries in the world, if not the first, that's kind of gotten the big tech players to this point um, around this particular issue, around paying for newsworthy content. So, you know, it's the first um, the first golfer in the clubhouse or the, you know, the first cab off the rank, whatever your, your metaphor. And it will certainly, um, you know, uh, it'll draw a lot of scrutiny. It'll draw a lot of comparisons. And, you know, if other governments want to see what the big tech will agree to, well, this is it. This is one thing they will agree to. Maybe they want other countries want to go further, but at least we've seen here, this is how far Australia could get. I mean, it's also provoked the argument that big tech should be more controlled. There should be more regulation, especially on the big five. Should they be more controlled, do you think, and regulated? Or would that stifle innovation and dampen enthusiasm? Yeah, there's certainly arguments on both sides. I think the, the you know the dead hand of regulation uh, can impinge on creativity and innovation, and um, you know it does have that effect. But on the other hand, monopolies also tend to impinge innovation, as far as uh, my, my economic understanding goes. So you know there's uh, there's can be negatives on both sides. You know, tech is so big, and the negative externalities of the internet and social media are. Are now getting so big, and you know, and and net, we live in a better world because of the internet and because of social media. I think the world is better, but the negative externalities around data privacy, around mental health issues, uh, around um, you know democracy and how information flows, um, all those things are now big enough that you know we really do have to tackle them. I think we've seen that leaving it to self-regulation of the industry itself is probably not the right solution. In, in and of itself. So I think we do, in some, need a, in more regulation across the board for big tech in different countries. Is there any one particular aspect of big tech that does need uh, regulation, uh, that won't stifle uh, innovation? Antitrust, for example. 
In my, in my view, I think there's a couple areas that need um, we need to get a bigger, better grip on. One is data privacy. We don't understand the value of our data. We don't have any control over our data. Um, and I think that's a problem. I think we've got to start to uh, imp impose some rules around that so that we have control. Just say we have, we, we have, you know, we have property rights in most countries in the world, almost every country in the world. You recognize individual property rights, property rights. Well, we need, need not to recognize data as a, as a property and that individuals need to take control. I think that's one area. I think another is the impact on, on the flow of information and particularly free societies where um, you know, democracy is really founded on a, another pillar, a, a very important pillar, which is a free press and investigative journalism. And unfortunately, the effect of where we are with technology today, the, the internet and social media in particular, is you know, we are not, uh, we are hollowing out um, that, that uh, institution of the free press. And so we need to redress that. And you know, this legislation here in Australia has been an effort to redress that. It's not perfect, but I think it's a good step in the right direction. But we need to do more of that around the world, or we are going to wind up, uh, you know, as as we have very quickly in a in a bad situation of filter bubbles and and uh, you know and half truths and people not under, not agreeing even on the common facts uh, that we have in a democracy when we go to the polls. So that would seem to imply it does need a bigger watchdog, more regulation, in other words. But every country's attitude towards regulation and control is different, isn't it? Uh, especially uh, America's and Australia's approach. There's differences in uh, coloration, difference degrees, but that's one of the problems that we do face today with, um, with uh, industries and companies, the scale of big technology, right? They... We've always had uh, multinationals and big companies for uh, you know 100 plus years, but now we, now these big companies really have more power and more data and more influence on on again on, on how even opinions are formed in different countries, and, and that's pretty unprecedented. And yet that's not how regulation works. Regulation works on a country by country basis generally, and that's a so in a way that's kind of advantage big tech in that case because they can. They can fight fires on lots of different fronts, and they can, you know, play off different jurisdictions against each other. They can out, they can outrun, run out the clock on certain uh, politicians and political regimes, if and wait for them to turn over. What, you know, Facebook, Google are going to be around probably in you know, decades from now. You know, most governments won't be here even a few years from now in many, many cases. So, you know, you 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 probably should say could say that the world isn't well set up to deal with the you know the challenge of regulating big tech. Stephen Sheila, former CEO of Facebook in Australia and New Zealand, many thanks to you for joining us here on The Agenda. So that was The View from Australia. My next guest joins me from another part of the globe where the big tech regulation debate is more controversial than ever. Jonathan Taplin is the author of Move Fast and Break Things, how Google, Facebook and Amazon cornered culture and undermined democracy. And Jonathan joins me now from Los Angeles. Uh, welcome to you. The title of the book comes from Mark Zuckerberg's comments about startups. He said, unless you're breaking stuff, you're not moving fast enough. Um, he's certainly broken a lot, hasn't he? He certainly has. I mean, you know, when I first published the book, um, the uh, publisher in England said, well, you need to take this uh, undermined democracy out of the title because we don't think that's really happening. Of course, the book came out four years ago, so obviously we're all a lot wiser now than we were then. But I think, you know, he's, he's definitely undermined democracy in the United States, and one could argue uh, had a, a great effect on Brexit in, in the UK. And so um, 
The basic problem we're facing right now is there is a large group of people in the United States who live in an alternative reality, mostly fed by Facebook. Your book was a few years ago, and you say, you know, people are wising up. Perhaps now it's taken them four years to wise up. Does that mean um, it needs more control? We've just heard from a former Facebook CEO in Australia who says it's it, time now for regulation. It's long past time for regulation. But I'm not positive some of the regulations being put forward would make that much of a difference. In other words, forcing Facebook to sell Instagram because Facebook is too big is not going to solve this problem. The basic problem is that Facebook in the United States, and I don't know exactly how it is in the UK, uh, has a liability shield called Safe Harbor, which makes it impossible for anyone to sue them for disinformation, libel, uh, propaganda, all the other things. In the old days, Theodore Roosevelt uh, took a lead in breaking up monopolies. Uh, I'm thinking of the railways, I'm thinking of AT&T. Uh, this is now big tech are monopolies, aren't they, and need breaking up? They either need breaking up or they need regulation. One of the things we understand is that your utilities, like your electricity, usually comes to you from a monopoly. But it's a regulated monopoly. It can't raise rates on you without asking the government's permission. It can't deprive you of uh, electricity or water and things like that uh, without some process. And so maybe we have to consider Google a utility, a public utility that is regulated like other public utilities and essentially has to ask permission when it raises rates on advertisers um, or it changes its privacy policies. Um, so, I mean, I'm, I'm just not positive breaking these companies up would make that much of a difference. So what if Facebook sold Instagram? It would still have Facebook, and Facebook is where a great deal of the problem, especially if you think about what's happening with the anti-vaccine movement in the United States is just spreading the most absurd nonsense. In your book, you talk about uh, monopolies, but you also talk about cornering culture as well. Um, your book argues that big tech has cornered culture. How so? Well, think about the effect YouTube has on the music business. If I'm a musician and I want to put out a song, and I want to get paid for it, I could put it on Spotify and Apple Music and actually get money for it. But that same song will go up on YouTube for free, um, put there by some user, and I can file a takedown notice to get it taken down, and maybe in a week I will succeed in that. But then it will go up the next day from some other user, and I can't say to YouTube, you cannot put this music up for free because YouTube says it's not our problem. These companies are just like a cancer on the business. If you look at the way music revenues have fallen, even though music is coming back with streaming, still the gross revenues in the United States are half of what they were in 2000. I mean, you've worked with some of the biggest names in the music business, and notably Bob Dylan. What impact is uh, what you're saying having on the music industry? Well, it, it affects every single musician. 
you know, I, I tell a story in my book about Levon Helm, who was the drummer in the band, who made a very good living for many, many years after the band stopped recording because people were buying CDs and, you know, the, that money continued into the late 90s. But when Napster arrived, his royalty income from recordings just came to a halt, just stopped. And he got throat cancer and he couldn't perform live and he didn't have enough money to pay for his medical expenses. It was absurd. This is one of the great musicians of the 1960s and 70s. So, so how, are you going, how are you going to force changes there? How are you going to force Silicon Valley to face the music? You have to remove the safe harbor. If there was no safe harbor, then I could say to YouTube, you cannot put this music up, and it's your responsibility if you do, and I'm going to sue you if you do. And, boy, they would change in a heartbeat. That's <laughs> why they're fighting all the efforts to change these safe harbor laws so fiercely. Jonathan Taplin, many thanks to you for joining us on the agenda. My pleasure. It's been great. Regulators on both sides of the Atlantic are struggling to agree on the best way to regulate big tech. Should they hit companies with antitrust laws or try to change the rules of the game completely and impose a new way of doing business? Well, for more on this and much more, I'm joined by Stephen Levy, the author of Facebook, The Inside Story, and tech journalist Kate Russell. So welcome to you both. Uh, Kate first, the EU and the US have very different reasons and approaches for the big tech crackdown. Can you basically break it down for us? Yeah, well, the EU is really a sort of a phase ahead of the US, um, who are just now beginning to realise there may be the need to sort of uh, restrain some of the the, the sort of more monopolistic behaviours of the big tech companies, um, which are really becoming very stark and apparent as we see, uh, you know, certainly in recent months, the, uh, uh, you know, sort of trying to conspire to say stop people advertising across, you know, Google and Facebook and, uh, you know... The EU has basically been trying to change behavioural, um, uh, sort of introducing behavioural legislation and changes for some time now. And we're now really moving, or the EU is now really moving to the next phase um, with, you know, sort of much tighter legislation and um, really, really pushing home those antitrust laws. So I think it's not really different approaches. It's just different phases of the same approach. And Stephen, would you agree with that? Different phases of the same approach? I certainly agree that uh, the EU is ahead of the U.S. in terms of regulation. They did the extensive privacy regulation, um, and um, their concerns are the same. But I think one difference is that the U.S. Uh, naturally uh, has you know, a, a backstop in that they don't want to harm necessarily American companies. And the EU um, is a little myth that they have no big tech companies like Facebook or Google and uh, wouldn't be too upset if they just collected a lot of money from fines. <laughs> yeah, taxes is a big issue. I'll come to that. But the other big one, Stephen, is data. Can we trust Silicon Valley with so much data? I don't think we can trust anyone with a, a huge amount of personal data about ourselves. I think that people are, are awakening 
to the fact that there is too much personal data collected about them and they don't have control over it. And while the EU made some advances in privacy, uh, what a lot of people see is just some little dialogue box comes up saying, are you okay with this? And they don't know what they're being okay with and they're clicking <laughs> it. I think we need something more extensive on both sides of the Atlantic where uh, people would actually get a choice as to what data is collected about them. And it wouldn't be collected unless they gave permission. And it would be up to the companies to make the case that if you share this data with us, we'll improve your experience. And Kate, uh, people on both sides of the Atlantic are asking, should any company be as powerful as the big names in Silicon Valley? Well, exactly. I mean, unfortunately, I think the, uh, the, the, sort of the rabbit is rather out of the hole in this respect. Um, they have become so big and so powerful, and they are literally swallowing up other entities that even have a chance of coming into competition with them. Um, so you need to start breaking down right to the bare roots of um, the structure of these companies and start putting some fairly firm um, legislation in place to stop them from doing this sort of like sucking everything into the black hole of one company. But I, I do a lot of um, education and outreach and I teach the kids uh, in, from primary age don't trust anybody with your data online. We have to start taking personal responsibility for protecting data before we give it to the tech companies. And that, Stephen, is what I told my kids about Facebook. You know, it's going to be there forever if you, if you reveal lots of information. Well, first of all, in terms of the information collected, it's not so much even what you choose to share. It's information they pick up about you uh, as you go on Facebook and, and even, you know, uh, go on, on, on the Web. So, uh, you know, there's that problem. And, yeah, can, and the information that's collected uh, becomes powerful in elections because uh, places can target you by that data um, and they know your vulnerabilities. The argument that uh, Facebook and the others give is that by having this information, we're sending you more relevant ads, ads that are useful to you, but uh, you're also vulnerable to places uh, placing ads because they know they can manipulate you in a certain way. And that's not good for anyone, except uh, maybe the company is collecting from the ads and the place that's manipulating you. These beer moths, of, of Silicon Valley. They have a stranglehold, Stephen, uh, on the market. Does that mean there's no chance of anybody coming in to challenge them? Well, not in the short term. Uh, typically what happens is in technology is that when a new kind of technology comes in, there's an opportunity for a reset. So uh, if you look back in, in, in the past when the uh, user interface, the graphical user interface came, that uh, upset some, the, the previous leader. Uh, when the, the mobile phone came, that was a disruption period. Um, and you know, people are looking ahead of what's the next one. And that's why it's a little concerning that these companies have so much power, they're now trying to get ahead of the, of the next wave, as when Facebook spent a lot of money to buy a virtual reality company, when Mark Zuckerberg became convinced that in 10 years, uh, we would all be you know, operating in some other reality, and that would be the, the next great operating system of the future. But the EU, we mentioned it earlier, has a bee in its bonnet about taxes um, from all of Silicon Valley. It, does that show an animosity, or is it purely about money? 
Well, I don't know. The problem with, um, you know, free markets enterprise is it does um, allow for different countries to operate different taxation laws in order to attract the big, um, you know, businesses to them. And this is something that we maybe need to come to a global understanding of, because the problem with a tech company is it operates without borders. Um, so they can up sticks and move anytime that they want. So you've got to strike a, a careful balance between not stifling innovation, but also not sort of, you know, blowing up the deficit and having, you know, the biggest um, uh, profitable, most, most profitable, profitable companies through a pandemic being the only ones who are earning any money and paying virtually no taxes. That's obviously not a sustainable economic model for any country. Uh, but until we come together and agree on a standard, it, it, there's always going to be the ability for companies to play countries off against each other. So I honestly don't know what the answer is. Um, the thinking of big brother, big data, privacy, that's a very big issue. Could that issue be the downfall or will they have to try and become less anonymous for people who are clicking on their sites? We need to understand as consumers that if we're not paying for something, then we're not a customer, we're a product. Um, and if you don't like that, if you don't like being treated like a product and your data as a commodity that is the company's business to do with what they will, then you need to start being prepared to pay for the services that you currently get free. So I think we're going to start to see, especially as younger people become um, sort of the consumers of the future, because certainly in the education outreach that I do, the young people are much more aware and connected with empathically with the impact of cybercrime and misinformation, disinformation, bad politics, they're really on it. And they want stuff that is private. And I think you're going to find that in future, they'll be happy to pay for it. And then we'll start to see the landscape shift a bit away from this sort of the, the free providers having all the power actually to us realizing that we have the power. Um, but we also need to understand that we've got to pay for stuff if we want to use it. So Stephen, in that shifting landscape, um, that Kate foresees. Will privacy be the big issue? And if the big tech companies don't adopt um, a policy of care, then they're going to face greater regulation. Well, I think they're facing greater regulation now, and, and well, they should. I think that it's incumbent upon the regulatory bodies, you know, in, globally, to roll back some of the compromises of our privacy that these companies have taken advantage of. You know, I, I talked to the people who founded Google, the people, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, who founded Facebook. And when they began their products, uh, they had no firm plan on how to monetize them. And they lit on advertising because that's where the opportunity was. And they used personal information for the advertising because it was legal. They could do that. If we have a, a tougher regulatory infrastructure that doesn't allow them to use the, that, that data, uh, they're going to find other ways that might be better for everyone uh, to monetize their products. And I think the solution that, that I'm hoping for is that we're going to get tougher regulation to make those companies change their models and find ways to uh, get rich, maybe not quite as rich, uh, without using our information, without our permission. Uh, richer, probably. Stephen Levy and Kate Russell, many thanks to you both for joining us on the agenda. Thank you. Thanks. That brings us to the end of another edition of The Agenda. Join me again next week when I'll be looking at the future of cryptocurrency. Remember, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher and Spotify. You can also find us on CGTN Europe, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and YouTube. 
and we'd love it if you could leave us a rating and a review. Until next week, goodbye. The most interesting questions. Are there other living beings beyond Earth? Will man or machine be in charge? Great question. Always have more than one answer. Well, hold on, uh, let me just draw up a list. And always come from more than one person. That's where the credibility lies. The concept of having a machinery which is alive and evolving didn't wait for us. The end of inequality of incomes and wealth around the world, can you imagine how difficult that is at the moment to achieve? Every episode, Stephen Cole, Murray Beveridge, and some of the brightest minds out there shed light on the answers to some of the most intriguing questions. There are two ways of looking at this. Machines can't really discriminate between civilian and military targets. The Answers Project. Maybe we need to just look at this in a bit more detail. Extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. The Answers Project, a new podcast from CGTN Europe.